Welcome to Ohio Matters, the Cleveland.com politics podcast. I'm Seth Richardson. And I'm Rich Exner. And as always, thanks for tuning in. Special thanks goes out to the Cleveland Public Library for making this podcast possible. If you have a creative endeavor and you want to see how the library can help, visit cpl.org. Again, that is cpl.org. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe to this podcast. We're on your favorite podcasting services like iTunes, Google Play, and TuneIn. And when you do that, consider rating and reviewing us. Uh, We really would appreciate a good review, and it helps other people find this show. As always, if you have any suggestions... Go ahead and send them my way. My email is srichardson at cleveland.com. Again, that is srichardson at cleveland.com. We've got a special guest host back today, Rich Exner. Thanks, Rich, for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me in. Yep. Andrew Tobias is out this week, uh, but it was a uh, crazy election week, I guess. Uh, Maybe maybe not as crazy as we think it was. I don't know. We'll get into that in just a second. Uh, Just one bit of housekeeping. This is going to be the second-to-last podcast episode this year. Uh, we've had really quite a run where we've done a lot of these shows. I think we're up to, we've got to be near 40 or 40 uh, something like that shows now. And, and, you know, we really need a break, especially after the election. It was a, uh, um, a, uh, a long march to where we are, but we will be back um, at some point, and um, we'll obviously be back next week. We're probably going to do another short episode, sort of laying the groundwork for 2020. But before we get ahead of ourselves, why don't we go ahead and talk about 2018? So, anybody who was paying attention on Tuesday probably knows the results, but just to give you a quick rundown, Republicans basically won, except for Sherrod Brown. That's probably the easiest way to put it. Now, there were other victories for Democrats, but uh, Mike DeWine won, uh, I think, about a four-ish point margin. Um, The rest of the down ballots obviously followed suit. Um, You know, Sherrod Brown won by, I think, six and a half points. Um, Not as big as some people were predicting, but uh, still a, you know, pretty decent win. Uh, Democrats were able to take two seats on the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, None of the congressional seats flipped, which I don't think is totally unexpected. And uh, a couple of state house seats flipped, but the Democrats did lose a uh, a state Senate seat. So uh, kind of a um, mixed to bad bag, I guess you would say, for Democrats. Uh, Rich, what did you see on Tuesday night that you found interesting? Well, that swing state status that Ohio had for so long, well, maybe Ohio's not Ohio, or maybe Ohio's not West Virginia or Kentucky yet, but it certainly is a Republican state now, it looks like. Uh, For so long, you could make the debate going back and forth, which it is, and it was pretty clearly Republican now for two big elections in a row, Trump in 2016, and now this this clean sweep and a high turnout midterm election. So I think uh, that's an interesting thing to look at. I obviously wrote kind of an analysis piece after the election that said the the swing state status is on shaky ground, but uh, someone described it to me in an interesting way that I think it it bears repeating. So for so long, Ohio has been described as a swing state, right? And part of that is because, you know, it often goes with the president. I think every president back since, uh, uh, I think the last time was John F. Kennedy in 1960, they went for uh, Richard Nixon. So obviously it's a good barometer, but I think the way to maybe look at this state is if you go back to, you know, even 2010, that this has been um, not even trending Republican. Like, it was it was pretty Republican in 2010. 2012 came along and Obama won by a pretty narrow margin, but he did win. 2014 happens, Republicans clean house. 2016 happens, Republicans clean house. 2018 happens, Republicans clean house. I think this is more of a Republican state that sometimes votes for Democrats and probably has been for quite some time. I guess I, my initial view would be that it's become more of a Republican state and that it really was more of a swing state, um, you know, earlier. I, I always like to add up the, the 
George Bush won twice in Ohio. Obama won twice. And you put the votes together for those elections, it's nearly down the middle. Uh, in 2010, the, the one time you, you did have a Democrat incumbent uh, running for re-election governor in Ohio, it was one of the closest elections um, in, in, in decades in which Kasich defeated him. But since then, uh, okay, so since 2010, Barack Obama got re-elected again. There might be a lot of reasons for that. It's outside, whether it's Democrat or Republican, he was an incumbent in, in the state in which areas he's very popular. But, but clearly since, since then, um, I was looking at the election of Trump uh, two years ago as being, is that the outlier or is that telling us something? After Tuesday this week, I think it's telling us something that this is Republican now more than ever. Um, if it wasn't before, as you suggested. Yeah, you look around the country, and Democrats made some they made some gains, and they had some losses as well. Um, you know, picked up enough seats that they're going to take the House, but lost seats in the Senate looks like it could be as many as four by the time they're done. Um, that's a pretty, you know, significant uh, loss. Uh, the map obviously didn't favor them, but... Um, they did do really well at legislative races across the country, including here. I mean, picking up four seats and, you know, some of these gerrymandered seats is, I, I think you can be proud of that to an extent. Um, it, it sort of becomes a Pyrrhic victory here where you're like, oh, well, we picked up four seats, but, you know, Republicans are still going to, you know, dominate the state legislature and there's a Republican governor and attorney general and secretary of state and auditor and treasurer and all that. Um, you know, the question that I sort of have is, well, you know, before we get too too ahead of ourselves. Um, Why do we think that, uh, given the environment that you saw nationwide, because governorships in other states also went for Democrats. Kansas, for instance, blood red Kansas, right? Um, Elected a Democrat. Now, you know, they've had Democrats before, but why do we think that Mike DeWine um, was able to do so well here, given the environment? He seemed to do well in in some of these areas that were traditionally Democrat before that Trump turned Republican. And I'm wondering whether those areas, say, say in eastern Ohio from, from Youngstown south, whether they whether Dwayne won that county or not. He certainly did better than Republicans had in the past, and, and he won most of those counties. I'm wondering whether the people that voted for Trump two years ago are satisfied with what Trump did in, in their view, and so they're satisfied with the party, I guess, would be, be one thing I, I would wonder about that. And then also, did Ohio—so um, it, it, so if it is the Trump, even though Trump is not Dwayne. Uh, if it is that, or did, is it that the, the state became more Republican, or did the party become more like the state? That's actually a good question. I think, I mean, you look at DeWine, and he wasn't, the way that I described the governor's race this year between Mike DeWine and Richard Cordray, the Democrat, um, was aggressively normal. Uh, when you consider some of the other races that you've seen, I mean, the Senate race had some hijinks in it, you know, between Jim Renacci and Sherrod Brown. You look at the presidential race from 2016, that was just about anything but politics as normal. But you look at the governor's race, and it was about as, uh, you know, I'm sure they'll get mad at me for saying this, but kind of generic R versus generic D, right? And it showed that, um, you know, to me, that uh, generic R's, they they win the state. Uh, I think part of the other reason is because DeWine has been around for so long and because the times are really uncertain kind of right now. You know, you never know what's going to be in the news the next day. Um, DeWine's very familiar. Uh, people know him. They've known him for years. He's served in, you know, all kinds of high-level offices. And in a time where things are going, you know, generally okay in Ohio, people are pretty happy with the economy and the, the job that Governor John Kasich has done, uh, why would you go out on a limb, right? So mm-hmm. I think that's probably the uh, the big factor there. And, and these Republicans, for the most part, though, uh, 
makes me want to wait and see a few more elections. Well, I do think it's a Republican state now, and that's why I said in the opening, but it's not West Virginia, it's not Kentucky, it's not overwhelmingly. So um, they didn't win as big as, um, as big as Trump won here. And the, the margin of victory, without getting into going down race by race, it seemed like it was roughly the same, uh, and you know, four or five percentage points, which is a solid win in politics, but in terms of defining a state, that doesn't mean we're a 60-40 state or a 70-30 or state. And, and that even extended beyond those state house races. If you looked at the congressional races, sure, sure the Republicans again won the same 12 congressional seats out of 16, so they got three quarters of the congressional delegation from Ohio. But if you add up all the votes that were cast in congressional elections, that a lot of that was a product of gerrymandering. They won roughly 40 or 52% to 48%. So it was fairly close, but yet that margin is fairly similar to what we had in all those state races. So outside of Sherrod Brown, which is, a, you know, it, that's a whole different discussion we can get into. It, it seemed like people largely voted the same way, right, right down the ticket on the major races. Yeah, let's talk about the Senate race for just a second, because that margin actually really surprised me. Um, I don't think I was ever one of the people who thought it was going to be double digits or anything like that. There were some polls that were showing him up by 20, and that just that wasn't going to happen. Um, but six and a half points was maybe a little closer than I and a lot of other people anticipated. And you have to wonder uh, how, uh, you know, what, what is Jim Renacci's performance if he actually um, puts, puts in some effort into that race? Obviously, he had a lot of stumbles. Um, I think, um, you know, the R brand in Ohio is, it's obviously popular. Like it can carry you places. If you can, you know, get out, spend something like nine to one, um, by Sherrod Brown, who's been around this state since what, like 1973 or something and still come up, you know, six and a half points down. Um, you know, you got to wonder, does Josh Mandel have a better shot at him? Does, does any other Republican have a better shot at him? I guess if I was a Republican strategist, I'd be looking at that and saying, well, what do we need to do to make the difference? Because I'm not so sure um, a lot of non-political junkies outside of Northeast Ohio knew who Jim Renacci was. But on, on, the, on the flip side, uh, you, Sherrod did have a six and a half point. So what is that? That's about 10 point flip over all these other races we're talking about. So is that a good number in a year when the Republicans have a, a big year in Ohio that you still won by six and a half despite what you said? I, I guess there's two ways to go at that one. Um, yeah, I don't want to think. I don't want to take anything away from uh, the Brown campaign. They did an excellent job. They ran a um, you know a very smart campaign. Um, you know, then had the resources to do so. I think after the 2016 election, people were looking at Brown like, oh, is he going to be gone? And they really just they got out in front of it. They never took it for granted. I mean, anytime you talk to them, they uh, you know, they, they said like, no, this, this is a real race, you know, despite what anybody says, like, we're going to, we're going to take this seriously. Um, you know, and that's probably what led to their victory. One of, one of the big changes we saw two years ago was the change of Eastern Ohio, that, that typically heavy blue, uh, country. Uh, I happened to, to grow up in, in Belmont County in Eastern Ohio. And, and at the time when I was growing up in the, in the eighties or so, there weren't hardly even Republicans on the ballot, let alone Republicans that could win. There was a lot of unimposed or just nominal competition. And now that's been that's been the Republican territory since 2012. Um, but yet Brown seems to still do well down there. And I, I'm just wondering if it's not a lot of the same issues that you heard. That, that's an old industrial valley that have a lot of, um, you know, steel mills are gone. 
and and uh, the anger kind of started um, a long time ago amongst a, a good number of people there about the whole idea of trade and and that's one area where Sherrod Brown and and I don't know whether Sherrod Brown would ever say he's like Donald Trump but there's one area where you can fairly draw some uh, comparisons that they are like on on the big picture idea about trade not necessarily the nuts and bolts of how you go about it which makes it even more interesting that they voted for Mike DeWine uh, DeWine has been pro you know trade deals forever he you know despite you know people seem to think that he voted for NAFTA he actually was not in Congress for NAFTA um, but he did you know express support for it but he said you know he voted for CAFTA he's voted for other things as well so it's surprising that the you know if trade is the big issue down there everybody says it is what that uh, you know that crossed over but I, I think the other thing to consider is um, obviously the election uh, people cared about health care you know they said they cared about health care but um, is it is it a problem with some of the candidates of maybe nationalizing these um, what are inherently local races? I mean, you think about it, and um, the governor's office doesn't have much control over health care. You know, there's some some things, obviously, like the Medicaid expansion, but uh, by and large, health care is sort of a federal thing. And that, that's a good point, although, you know, who, who knows, because Kasich took a stand even against his own party on, on Medicaid, so we'll see where we're going on that one. Um, so so maybe maybe it's localizing. Maybe it's how far you can go to, to paint a picture of somebody that the, that the voters already know. Uh, I kind of draw a little bit of a comparison between Sherry Brown and Man Senator Manchin from West Virginia in that they're longtime familiar people. Man Manchin, uh, no, Trump did better in West Virginia than any other state in the country, but yet Manchin, under, under a, lot of, uh, a lot of attacks, was able to survive as a Democratic uh, candidate for the Senate. He had been a former governor. He had been a senator. And I'm just wondering when you, when you go after and start painting people as being uh, bad one way or the other, trying to paint a picture, whether sometimes people are around, or the candidates are around so long that people are familiar with and they say, well, no, he, he's not so bad. Uh, I'm gonna. I, I, I still like so and so, and I'm wondering whether there's a limit to when you try to bring that, as you said, national campaign into local issues. I'm wondering whether there's a limit to how much you can bring a national message into to somebody that that has been elected repeatedly in a particular state. We're going to transition to talking about the parties here in just a second because I think there's some things to say there. But uh, you know, I think I think it's worth exploring. Like, what is the roadmap for kind of Republicans and Democrats going forward? Um, I seem to look at it and think, you know, Republicans already have their roadmap, really. I mean, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Um, but what, what do we think about Democrats? I mean, how do they – do they stand a chance at being competitive again or – we were having a discussion earlier today in the office about that, that, that Massachusetts has a Republican governor, but he, he doesn't look too Republican in the scope of a national thing. So I guess one route would be, do the Democrats in Ohio need to be more middle or more more look like Senator Manchin from West Virginia, look more Republican even if they are a Democrat to have a shot? But then I just had a lunch with another person who follows politics closely and insists, no, they got to take their stand and, 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 and be the uh, Bernie Sanders of the world. So... So I don't know. I guess there's two ways to go about that. I, I don't I don't know the answer to that or one of the parties might be paying me some extra money to do work for him and I wouldn't be in this business. <laughs> I think uh, I think one thing you're going to see from especially Democrats is um, or, or I guess we should say liberals is uh, maybe a bigger push toward ballot initiatives. You know, obviously, issue one failed this time. That was the uh, ballot initiative that would have um, uh, reduced uh, prison sentences for low level felonies. 
Um, and, you know, it never failed to catch on. I always have a theory about ballot initiatives that if you can't explain what it does in one sentence very concisely, then it's going to fail because people are confused by it. Um, but you look at uh, what the coalition uh, is of Democrats here, and it's basically minorities, women, and young people, right? Now, we know that uh, young people especially don't vote at the rates of older people. So I think for them to really be successful here in the near future, I mean, one, they're going to have to find the right candidate because the right candidate can, over, you know, in theory should overcome anything. Uh, two, I think you're going to see a, a bigger move towards some ballot initiatives for some more uh, kind of popular, uh, quote unquote, progressive um, ideas, probably chiefly among them being legal weed. I wouldn't be surprised if that shows up on a ballot in 2020, but I don't know that that drives Democratic turnout because I would bet that a lot of Trump supporters actually support legal marijuana. I guess it drives issues, but does it drive ballot turnout to elect people? It might be two different questions there. I, I don't think that we would have prescription weed in Ohio if there wasn't the threat of ballot initiatives. True. That, that they, and I don't think we would have gerrymandering reform in Ohio if there wasn't a threat of a ballot issue. True. Which was a brilliant move getting ahead of that by the uh, Republican caucus saying we can't have this on the ballot. Um, I'm, I'm mildly surprised that, uh, you know, the, the Democrats didn't try to take that a little bit further if they wanted. Now, granted, it wasn't a Democratic mm -hmm. initiative. It was a nonpartisan one. But, um, you know, you think that they would at least take a shot on it um, and say, I mean, look what happened in Michigan. You know, Gretchen Whitmer won pretty big. They legalized marijuana. I don't think you can say that that's necessarily a coincidence. Mm -mm. And so sometimes it's done by the ballot initiative, and, and they call it off, and the it kind of forces the legislature into action um, to do what the majority wants to do. Uh, and then other times it actually happens where we wouldn't maybe still have casinos in Ohio until this day. Uh, Ohioans were clearly okay with casinos. The legislature was never going to do it, so it went to, the, went to the ballot and was passed. And there's a lot of criticism. Well, why do four places or two couple owners have the monopoly on the casinos and sometimes the criticism of that is directed at the casino operators but but the, in my view the criticism should be pointed at the legislature who refused to do it another way that would be more balanced if the, if the people didn't like it that way so there are those options i don't know whether those options lead lead to uh lead to electing people. I know that that was one theory on, on, um, on George Bush over Al Gore in Ohio going way back is I think it, if I'm not mistaken, they had a, uh, um, a marriage, uh, marriage, uh, no, no gay marriage, uh, proposal on the ballot at that time. And I think there was a lot written and said that drove the vote in that election. And I think as time's gone on, that's some people have been skeptical that, that really drove the vote, but that was the attempt of it anyway. It was clearly the plan to put that on the ballot in certain areas where they wanted um, a particular base to show up to vote. Do you get Capital Letter? It's the must-have daily read for State House happenings. Five mornings a week, Cleveland.com provides a daily intelligence briefing filled with succinct, timely information. It's perfect for people, businesses, and organizations that care about decisions made by lawmakers, the governor, and all of state government. From breaking news to rumblings in the rotunda, if you're not getting Capital Letter, you're missing out. For more information, visit Cleveland.com slash Capital Letter. That's Cleveland.com slash C-A-P-I-T-O-L-L-E-T-T-E-R. Do you think that Ohio is sort of um, maybe out of step 
with the rest of the Midwest now. We look at the results from the other day and, um, you know, big Democratic wins in, uh, you know, Illinois, they took back the governorship. Uh, Michigan, they took back the governorship. Uh, Tom Wolf in Pennsylvania was reelected. Probably the, you know, at least to Democrats, the biggest one is they knocked off Scott Walker over in Wisconsin. But Ohio State beat red. Um, are we the new Indiana or something like that? Maybe we're a lot like more like Indiana. And the Midwest is an outlier to the it rest of the be, Midwest. Yeah. Uh, That's a good point. Because where, where, where does it go from blue to red? And, and Ohio looks like it's on that red side with the Indiana, Kentucky, and West Virginia. Now that now that uh, Michigan and, and, and Wisconsin are rolling back to the blue side with this election. Yeah, you talk about, um, you know, like Iowa. So Iowa was supposed to be considered a toss-up, and uh, Kim Reynolds won, um, I, I guess, re-election. Technically, she was appointed after Terry Branstad uh, took uh, um, uh, an ambassador spot. But, um, yeah, it's kind of interesting seeing how all these are playing out. I was looking at the map the other day, and you've got blue basically along the West Coast, and then blue mostly along kind of the top, uh, the top border states, and then going up to... Uh, you know, Maine, obviously. Um, and then, you know, a sprinkle here and there. You've got some Mountain West in there. So your, your Colorados, your New Mexicos. Um, I don't know. I looked at this. I looked at it, though, and it was just kind of fascinating to see how that played out. I mean, even, you know, what, 10, 15 years ago. It's interesting, too, in the Midwest is that we've always been a little bit different state in that we have multiple urban areas um even if you go down to like dayton and, and toledo you could argue up to maybe six or seven urban areas in ohio we have a we have a small town area in eastern ohio where it was once industry and we have a lot of farm country so we have all that mix of the united states in there what makes ohio different than a lot of these states is that in ohio still the urban areas columbus cincinnati cleveland are largely democrat cincinnati more so than it used to be in these other states we're talking about um Pittsburgh, there aren't a whole lot of people that live in Pennsylvania outside of the Pittsburgh and Philadelphia areas. Now, there's other mm -hmm. segments, but they're so dominant. In Michigan, the Detroit metro area is so dominant. And I think the same thing in Wisconsin. I'm a little bit less familiar with that, but like once you extend beyond the Milwaukee area. And I think what we saw in this election is that, that in these suburban areas, not just the cities, but the suburban areas, uh, maybe total a little bit more blue than they had in the past. Uh, but maybe maybe Ohio is different in that you know, we're just spread out in so many different areas. We don't have this concentration uh, that, you know, one, one or two urban city-driven states like these others that are, that are now rolled back blue. Yeah, I wonder if we're making too much of this now going back to the, uh, the red state versus blue state kind of thing because you did see um, suburban areas break for Democrats and other areas. And it's worth noting that Sherrod Brown did obviously better than Rich Cordray in some of those more suburban areas. But I, I kind of wonder, I mean, if you have sort of a, um, you know, an even more like neutral Republican or whatever, maybe someone who doesn't have the uh, the legacy and the name ID of Mike DeWine, um, does that break a little more for Richard Cordray? Because, uh, you know, those those areas have been firm, kind of uh, moderate Republican areas for years. You might have something there because I go back to that combined congressional vote. So it's 16 races all lopping into one. But mm -hmm. I think I think it's worthwhile because it does tell us something about people voting in different areas for different people. And the 52 percent vote that the, uh, you know, 48 percent for the Democrats, that's as good as they did since that basically matches what they did do in uh, 2012, which was when Barack Obama was reelected. Mm. Uh, they, did, they did a lot worse in 14 and 16 in that combined congressional vote. So that indicates, you know, um, that I guess that would be part of the argument that maybe a lot hasn't changed and, and, and maybe something has to do with the candidates like DeWine. Are we possibly overreacting to all of this, Rich? 
I think it's a, a another another point on the, on the chart, and it's definitely. I don't think we're overreacting if we're saying that it's trending Republican because now we've got two elections in a row. To say oh, Ohio is now a Republican state, well, you know, talk to me in ten years and see because, right. like like I said a little bit ago too, sometimes the parties change to come closer in line with the voters as opposed to the people changing too. That's true, and uh, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how um, you know everybody kind of reacts to this because I think that. Um, you know, a lot of people thought that the Democratic slate was really strong, and I, I don't necessarily think they're wrong or anything like that. All the candidates were out there. They were, you know, hitting the pavement. They were going to the voters and all that. It just didn't work out this time. Um, Republicans had a stronger slate of candidates, frankly. You had the, um, you know, the Attorney General, the Secretary of State, the Auditor of State, a, um, a young up-and-coming um, state uh, uh, senator. No, state senator. A young up-and-coming state senator and the former president of the Senate all on the statewide ticket. Is, is it your sense that, you know, we get to see the election results on Election Day. Nobody knows for sure who's going to show up and vote. That's what makes polling and politics so dicey is what, what's the mix you want to you know, bake into your poll. But was it your sense that either the Democrats or Republicans were surprised by the outcome or or if they speak honestly with you without being quoted, I mean, did this surprise the insiders that have a lot more information than most people in the public? You know, here's the thing. Going in, I did not know what was going to happen. I talked to all kinds of people, uh, Democrat and Republican, people who I trusted. And, you know, I'm sure that I kind of made a blanket tweet on election night where, you know, everybody asked about the polls. And I said, oh, nobody had this right. Like anybody who's telling you is a liar. And, you know, yeah, that was probably a bit reactionary. I'm sure somebody had it figured out, right? Obviously, the Republican Party probably had it figured out. But, you know, I talked to numerous Democrats and Republicans. I talked to Republicans who said that, um, you know, they could see as much as a, a five-point Cordray win. I talked to Democrats who said they were going to see a, um, you know, a narrow DeWine win. It was just all over the place. I think that speaks more to how polling in, you know, in this state at least— um, and really, you know, in other states as well is, um, you know, just not as good as it used to be. And I'm wonder, and I don't know that there's anything fundamentally wrong with the way the polling is done. I think that campaigns and politics is probably just so different at this point where you've got, um, you know, social media where politicians are directly connecting with voters as opposed to there being that kind of buffer that they're, you know, used to having. I don't know what makes up for it. You know, everybody wants to point to like, oh, well, young people are hard to pull. Uh, you know, third shift workers are hard to pull. Whoever's hard to pull, right? But I, I don't know. I don't know a solution to that. The, the polling would be a lot more accurate if, if the voter turnout was 100%. It's, it's figuring yeah, out who's, yeah. who's going to vote and who cares to. Yeah. And the other thing yeah, that— fig Figuring out the electorate is obviously the hardest part because what does the electorate look like? You know, you can, you can look at like a representative sample and all that, and you look at the breakdown, and you— you know, it might look good to you, and you kind of see it and think, okay, um, I, I don't know the answer there. The, the other thing is it used to be, you know, 10 years ago, it would be still commonplace to look at a candidate's uh, chances of winning based on how much money they raised. Mm. And and I have this theory now, since so many people have DVRs and don't watch commercials or, or, or watch on the streaming services, that and I don't know who reads any of that mail that comes in the mail, yeah. uh, unless you're a lonely individual with needing to, you're, you're, you're done with all your books. But I have this theory that the money doesn't the money count doesn't doesn't work as a barometer as much anymore as long as you have enough money to get your message out to some extent because there's so much of this 
Um, you know, I, I just wonder if it's well spent money on TV, but they have the money, so they're going to spend it. And and as long as you have enough money to get your message out on all those social media channels and reach the people you want to, does it really matter whether you have $10 million or $8 million, that type of thing? Yeah, Which used to help us in the past predict elections. Yeah, I, I kind of wonder the same thing, but then you look, I mean, you look at it this time, Democrats actually mostly outraised all of their Republican opponents. The exception to that was Mike DeWine, who... Um, outraised Richard Cordray, but also fundraised for two years and gave himself $4 million. Obviously, he had a very heavy TV strategy that he was playing. Is that what contributed to it? I don't know. Maybe, you know, was it Trump coming in on Monday? I don't know. I think that's probably the biggest takeaway, and that maybe uh, doesn't give anybody any comfort, is that, um, you know, we're, we're in a time of politics where it's like, it's just transitional. It's like, we don't know everything. I mean, if somebody could, some candidate come in here and pour, you know, millions of dollars into digital and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, possibly win that way. Well, look what happened with, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez up there in Brooklyn. She's a 29 year old bartender who knocked off the number two Democrat in the house. Um, it works there because, you know, Brooklyn is like young hipster territory. Does it work here in Ohio? I don't know what works in Ohio anymore. I frankly don't. I mean, I know that, uh, you know, DeWine is obviously an institution, so um, what he did worked, but is that because, again, people know who Mike DeWine is, or uh, and the same thing goes with Sherrod. Is it, did Sherrod do something fundamentally different? Um, he was up on TV, spent a bunch of money on TV. Is that what was effective, or is it because Sherrod is kind of in a league of his own? It'd be uh, we need uh, Sherrod Brown and Mike Dewine and some of these other people who consistently went to to retire, come by the, our podcast, have a few beers, get them to open up and 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 see if we can find out what's working for them. We we have had them both on the show. Uh, maybe maybe we'll ask them back. Ask about their uh, their campaign strategies. None of them have to run next time around, so uh, maybe they'll speak a little more freely. But before we go, biggest surprise. I guess the extent of the Republican victory in Ohio that they, they just swept consistently across the ticket, and there was not not a uh, not a miss in there that could be expected. I don't think Sherrod Brown was ever considered in play, so that the Republicans basically swept exactly what they needed to do. It surprised me that there wasn't one blip. Two things surprised me. One, you kind of touched on already. Uh, Mike DeWine ran better in Mahoning County than John Kasich did. Don't know exactly what that means, but uh, I'm sure that Democrats are probably pretty worried right now. And uh, also that Democrats got more votes than John Kasich did in 2010 and still managed to lose the election. That's just kind of an oddity there. I think if you'd have told Democrats they were going to have 2 million votes maybe you know three weeks ago, they'd be pretty ecstatic and thinking they were going to have a couple of these seats, but it just didn't happen. All right, everybody, thanks for tuning in. Rich, thank you so much for joining us once again. We appreciate it. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to uh, try to decipher what the heck's going on behind all these numbers on the election night. Andrew and I will be back next week. We'll do another discussion, and then we will uh, take the rest of the year off. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.